Well, we both should have gotten coffee, shouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> Crashing a little bit. Hang on just a second. I'm going to grab okay. my water. It is a Friday morning, guys. The week has been rough. Welcome. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to your Friday. You're listening to Cricket News, where we bring you crazy news and hilarious history, and sometimes a little bit of slap happiness. <laughs> we were, oh my god, we were in a state <laughs> last time we recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in a place when I picked out these articles, because they were, to me, they were super funny in my slap happy state. <laughs> <laughs> I, we'll have to get back there. Um, All right. This one isn't so funny. I just thought it was really cool. Um, okay. So this is from sciencemint.com because y'all know I am a slut for science stuff and new inventions and stuff, but... Oh, I, I didn't know that about you at all. <laughs> I, ain't under, okay? I ain't understand none of it. I just think it's cool. Um, mm. I And I don't want to put in the work to understand. It's something that I like to enjoy from afar. And that's, that's, fair. that's okay. Like, it's just, it's not yep. in me. Uh, this was posted. I don't understand medical stuff, but I like gross medical stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you get it. You get it. So I do, I get it. This was posted on December 24th, 2020. Um, and this is in the technology section. So, China test hypersonic jet engine able to reach anywhere on earth within two hours hmm chinese science weird yeah uh the engine was tested How would that even what hang what? on so no matter where you are in the world you can get wherever you're wanting to go in two in two hours yeah within two hours even if it's on the other side of the world yeah it, it talks a little bit about how it works here in just a minute. Okay. Uh, so the engine was tested in a wind tunnel in Beijing. Uh, and they have a picture of it here. And it looks kind of freaky. Freaky tech. Um, okay. Chinese scientists claim to have built a hypersonic jet engine called Sodrum, Sodrum Jet. Capable of reaching speeds of, <laughs> speeds of Mach 16. Sorry. It's okay. It's funny to me when people put the name of what it is in the title. <laughs> Isn't it? It's like truck car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a jet engine. We're going to yeah. call it something jet. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> uh, so it is carpet rug. <laughs> It's not that bad. They put Sodrum in front of it. It's funny. (laughs) The Sodrum Jet Jet. Truck boat truck. (laughs) All right, continue. Um, (laughs) So it's capable of reaching speeds of Mach 16, which is approximately 19,756 kilometers per hour. Kilometers per hour. Um, Which is what? I don't fucking know. Don't ask me. I can't. Do <laughs> you didn't do the conversion for Americans? No. Why the would I do that? The only country in the world that uses feet <laughs> and miles. 
Yeah, no. You know, it's times when I when people use the metric system that I'm like, are we North Korea? <laughs> like are what like what are why are we a cult? Like why are we the only people that do these things? It certainly <laughs> feels like a cult growing up right? in America, especially like in the School? weirder Christian areas. Yeah. Well, and like in school too, like yeah. no one else, nowhere else in the world do they s- pledge allegiance to their flag every day. No. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a little culty over here. All right, it is <laughs> super culty. Um, we're all in debt, like <laughs> yeah, and like you know, the government's taking our money this is and the not really giving us ta- anything in back. Exactly. Ta- they, they were taught like that we're the best country in the world. We we are not. Yeah, no. By a long shot. Yeah, it's really bad when you're a kid. It is a little culty when you're a kid. And then you grow up and read shit and you realize it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing that makes us not North Korea is that we're not like isolated. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, can we please not talk about that <laughs> anymore? I've been What? Uh, how this place has kind of turned into a cult. <laughs> oh, it hasn't turned into one. I think it's always been one. <laughs> it's a little culty. Yeah. It's just the the culture of uh, superiority in, in America is a little bit Yeah, it's a little bit shitty. much. Yeah. That, that's really it. But uh, anyway. Yeah, but anyway, back to this engine uh, that we, we don't understand <laughs> how fast it's going because we don't know I, I kilometers per hour. It. Um, no, and I don't understand how <laughs> distance isn't a factor. <laughs> well, it, it, I'm, I'm having a hard time with that one. It is a factor, but this is going almost 20,000 kilometers per hour. And I have no so idea how much fast. that is. Okay, hold on. <laughs> We're not going to be able to Google move it. For- no, you further. keep reading okay. it. No, you keep reading. Okay. I'll Google it. <laughs> um, so the test flight of a, pr- a prototype. Did you say 20,000? Yeah. Let's just round it up to 20,000. Yeah. The test flight of a prototype was carried out in a wind tunnel in Beijing, China, and achieved unprecedented performance in terms of thrust, fuel efficiency, and operational stability. Okay. So 20,000 kilometers per hour is 12,427 miles per hour. That's faster than the fastest trains we have. The fastest trains that that's, we have are going at 200 miles per hour. Maybe a little that's over that. faster than anything yeah. we have. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> uh, oh, this... Later it says um, it is nine times the speed of sound. Jesus Christ! Yeah. So, so we're approaching light, light speed here, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, led by Professor Zonglin Zhang of the Chinese Academy sure. of Yeah, uh, the Chinese sure. Academy of Sciences Institute of Mechanics. Chasm. Okay. The team's findings were published in the Chinese Journal of Aeronautics. Um, this type of engine could be used in reusable trans-atmospheric planes that will take off horizontally from an airport runway, accelerate well, into really orbit. Good that they're reusable. Yeah. I'd hate so, to use a disposable plane. Yeah, these are kind of like planes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Why would they say it's reusable? <laughs> uh, 
because some people <laughs> so, will think that you just use it once and can never I again. What? It's not a soda can. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it's a vehicle. I guess it's because rockets are kind of dis- like disposable transportation because they yeah. like blow up and shit when yeah. they hit the atmosphere. So yeah, okay, <laughs> that was really funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is my disp. I rented. I I bought a- myself a disposable plane for my trip. <laughs> it's oh only one use. <laughs> I can't get disposable back home. cameras this are is great. not a round trip. Disposable cameras are great, but you never get to see their, see your pictures. <laughs> and they're kind of wasteful. If it's a big event, I suggest using a real camera. <laughs> but I don't care if I forget today. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Alright, keep talking about okay. the disposable jet. It's not disposable, it's reusable. It's reusable, I'm sorry. (laughs) They take off horizontally from an airport runway, accelerate into orbit around the Earth, then re-enter into the atmosphere, and finally land at an airport. I'm sorry? Yeah. Nope, never doing that. Nope. I think this would be fun. Nope, nope. I have absolutely zero interest in entering space. No thank you. (laughs) Standing Oblique Detonation Ramjet Engine, or Sodrum Jet. The engine was tested at speeds of up to nine times the speed of sound in a powerful wind tunnel. In a wind tunnel? Mm-hmm. What? Oh, wait. You nor I, I don't can... understand how anything works. We, and that's why we cannot judge. We don't know. I'm not looking, I'm not no. looking any further into this than we might have a cool ass jet. <laughs> come I have to ask reasonable. my dad about it. Um, it has to be noted, though, that this new Chinese Sodrum jet test may have actually taken place a while ago, uh, cautions hypersonic aerodynamic scientists who spoke with the South China Morning Post. Theoretically, the engine could accelerate an aircraft up to 16 times the speed of sound, but this is yet to be tested. The team is confident that they And would it flatten a person? <laughs> like... Like, can a person survive that journey, is my question. Uh, I don't know. Uh, they would have to test or that. Or would you be flattened and turned to goo? Maybe not. You know? Yeah. Would they open the, uh, you know, the the plane lands and everyone's just, like, inside out? Oh. That would be terrible. Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> Well, they're not going to... G-forces are a thing! They're not going to... G-forces are a thing! They're not going to test it on a plane full of people. They're going to test it probably on animals first. Yeah, that's horrible! Yeah, which is not better, but... No! They could... Oh, they They're going to need to use, like... They should use, like, mushy dummies or something. Yeah. We have that kind of technology now. There's no need to send monkeys to space anymore. That's just absurd. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I lost my place. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, the team is confident that their innovation could be one of the first to move commercial flights to hypersonic speeds since the existing hypersonic flight engines, called scramjets, are too weak, too greedy, and too unstable. 
Yeah, so, like, three people can afford to take that flight, though. Well, yeah. Is the thing. This is gonna be, like, so expensive. Well, maybe not, like, So later. expensive. Flights used to I be don't really know, girl. expensive, I'm sure. But this will probably be, like, something that's more mainstream. Flights are expensive. Yeah, that there's... Yeah, they're still expensive. It will probably, like, be the cost of about a flight now. And later years when this will actually, like, work. Like, if it's more commonplace, yeah. I guess, maybe. But also, like, I don't know. I just, I it, like, first class tickets are, like, thousands of dollars in regular planes. Like, imagine this. It's, I don't know. It's gonna, like, cost you 20 grand to get to Japan in two hours. Whew. Imagine the jet lag. Yeah. This is probably... Goodness. This is probably for, like, politicians and stuff, though. That's like, what I'm that's saying. Like, seven people be. are yeah. going to take this flight. <laughs> um, the president. <laughs> God. And the queen. <laughs> uh, not the queen. They would not do this to the queen. <laughs> no, the queen would not be interested. <laughs> um... So, 70 years of exploration on hypersonic propulsion indicates that the revolutionary concept is really in need of hypersonic air-breathing engine development. The Sodrum jet engine concept can be a very promising choice. Keeping that in mind is important, however. It is also true that the dream for human beings to fly faster, higher, and further than ever is getting closer and closer in reach. So, I don't know. I just thought that was fun. That um, is interesting. Yeah. That's crazy that they're getting that far. I mean, once we get to the point where we can do light speed, like, let's go to, like, everyone's going to go to space and start exploring shit, you know? Yeah. So that's why we don't, like, go further than, I mean, we can't even really get, I think it takes years to get to Mars. Oh, yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So, like, there's... That's it, why they uh, couldn't go save the little you Mars can't, rover. Right. Like, you no know, one wants to spend 11 years in a rocket. Yeah. Or however long it is. I don't fucking know. I just pulled that number out of my butt. Mm -hmm. It's probably like 50 or something crazy. Like in uh, Planet of the Apes. Where they have to get like cryogenically frozen. Or or passengers. They get like cryogenically frozen while they go yeah. to that new new planet or whatever. Because mm -hmm. it's going to take like 100 years to get there. Or 90 years or something crazy. Yeah. I had a teacher Ugh. get mad at me for enjoying that movie. She was like, he committed murder. Movie. He woke her up. He murdered her. I was like... He could have put her back to sleep. Did yeah. you finish the movie? Exactly. <laughs> well, she... And I brought that up and she was like, well, he didn't know that when he woke her up. I was like, what would you have done? Would you have I'm sat sorry, there alone? I would have woken someone up. Yeah. Characters are flawed. That's what makes them relatable. Oh, my yeah. God. I'm so sick of it. All right. <laughs> but anyway. I'm tired um, of people. <laughs> maybe I you, wouldn't you wake anyone up. dare speak ill of Chris Pratt. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is from the New York Times. And I don't know why I thought this was so fucking funny. It's really, it's really not. But, um. Okay. More than 190,000 ceiling fans are recalled after blades detach. Oh, no. 
while it's on? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Could you imagine the chaos and terror in these family homes? Someone needs oh blades. Oh my god, I love it so much. Detaching. I need YouTube videos right now. <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> you're just like watching TV and then you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then you die because you've been impaled with a ceiling fan blade. Uh, oh my no. god. <laughs> They're not sharp. Oh my god. <laughs> this is so funny. Uh, uh, the flying blades can cause injury and damage property, the Consumer Product yes. Safety Commission said. I would love that. They're like sticking out of the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there have been 47 <laughs> reports of blades detaching from models of the fans that were recalled. <laughs> <coughs> Oh, oh, I'm gonna pee. <laughs> <coughs> um, oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> so the Hampton Bay 54-inch Mara indoor-outdoor fans were sold in stores and online from April through October this year, according to the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Could you imagine? So the this no. was posted December twenty seventh, twenty twenty. So like everybody through from April to October were like getting real home improvement style y and wanting to do fun things and they get this wonderful looking ceiling fan and they install it and they're so proud of themselves because they've installed this by themselves and then all of a sudden it falls apart. Could you imagine oh, no. the feeling no. of worthlessness you would feel you'd be like i can't even put together the ceiling fan right and i wasn't working it's not like i had anything else to do oh no oh Oh, i love it i love it (laughs) there are a lot of people whose whose egos have been taken down a few notches There have been 47 uh, reports of blades detaching from the fans. Two, that's amazing. Two of those episodes <laughs> involved the detached blades hitting people, and there have been four <laughs> reports of the blades causing property damage. <laughs> I keep having this flash of them like watching TV together and like this kid's about to put pizza in his mouth and then just gets whacked in the face. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, <laughs> just like, oh god, what? Oh, that's amazing. It was unclear. <laughs> it was unclear if the people hit by the blades had been injured. I'm they were injured. A thousand percent sure they were injured. <laughs> no one died, but there were black eyes all around. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> it Im- instructed oh consumers to immediately stop using the fans, adding that if they notice blade movement or uneven gaps between the blades and fan body, they should contact the distributor of the fans, King of Fans, for a free replacement. Um... <laughs> <laughs> We take pride in the quality of our products, and the safety of our customers is our priority, King of Fans said, while they distributed 
almost 200,000 fans that could easily fall apart and ruin a family uh. game night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it hits the Monopoly board. Everyone's already angry, it. and then it hits the Monopoly yes. board, and no one wants to play Fuck! anymore. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and this last one um, was from CBS Boston. It was posted on December 30th, 2020 at 3 p.m., if anyone cares. Um, blood <laughs> everywhere. Aggressive squirrels terrorizing... And attacking NYC residents for weeks. So we're what? back to the animals attacking people. Weeks? Weeks. Uh, some, oh, Lord. Some people living in a Queens neighborhood are afraid to leave their homes. That's because there have been several aggressive squirrel attacks over the last few weeks. Michelin How does a squirrel attack a person? I don't know. Do um, they... Have they... Oh, I'm excited. I want to know if they've, like, formed gangs. There's... Oh, my God. There's a picture. And there's blood all over the snow from this oh, woman. No. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. Okay, this is scary now. Continue. <laughs> Michelin Frederick That's is still funny. bruised. <laughs> Her bite wounds are healing after she was attacked by a squirrel one week ago. You hear someone has been bitten by a squirrel, you're like, okay, you got a little nib, what's the deal? But this was, this was an MMA cage match, and I lost! Oh my god! <laughs> she said the squirrel, totally unprovoked, went after her as she stood on the front stoop of her Rigo Park home on 65th Drive. She shared graphic photos of the aftermath. Um, we're wrestling in the snow and there's blood everywhere, my finger's getting chewed and it won't let go! <laughs> oh my god, were they rabid? What the fuck? I don't know. Um, eventually it just stopped and there I was, a big bloody mess. A security it just, like got bored with gnawing her to death? Oh my god. <laughs> a security camera image shows the squirrel latched onto her left hand. Several of Frederick's neighbors have also been terrorized by the raging rodent, including Ven <laughs> Venati Singh's family. They were recording the squirrel on their mailbox when it pounced. These squirrels are aggressively going after people, Singh said. She said one has gone Leave after her. Leave the squirrels alone. It was on her mailbox. That's they, so they're crazy. They're unprovoked. Um, That's so crazy. She said one has gone after her husband twice. Um, Shit. He basically gra grabbed onto the plastic bag that I had, tried to climb up my leg. I was able to shoo them off. That was the first time. The second time was right here when I tried to get in, he said. Um, last week, Lisa, Lishia? I don't know. Miss Wang said she was walking <laughs> up to her home on 65th Drive when a squirrel jumped on her back and bit her arm. These people aren't doing Jesus anything. Christ. The squirrels seem to leave them it's alone. It's like a Hitchcock movie. Yeah. Oh my god. I was screaming. Crazy, Wang said. The victim said they've called the city for help. The Department of Health said it advised them to hire a state-licensed trapper, which they have, but so far the traps remain empty. 
The CDC says small rodents like squirrels are almost never found to have rabies. So not knowing what's causing the squirrel's aggressive behavior is concerning for many people who live in the area. I'm a little surprised that the city is not taking it more seriously, considering how many people have been attacked, Singh said. Seriously? She said she is still getting treated for rabies as a precaution, adding that this is a good reminder that although squirrels are cute, they're still wild animals. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. These people are all going to have post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to be able to walk outside their homes because they're going to be afraid no. of the fucking squirrels. They're going to see a squirrel and immediately wet themselves. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, so that's, oh, that's my, terrible. That's my segment. <laughs> wow. All right, let's take a very quick break. Okay. And we're back. Hey, everybody. All right, so last week we were talking about... Um, Let me scroll back up to the top here. I forgot the title. So last week we started one called 13 Unusual Medieval Era Practices That Sound Made Up But Aren't. So we did one through six last week. I'm not going to recap. Go listen to the episode. And we're going to pick up with number seven today. Okay. Which is actually one of my favorites. Okay. So. I bet it has to do with food. No, it doesn't. Oh, okay. It has to do with crime. So watching watching an animal be put on trial for a crime. Oh my God. I've heard of that. That's lovely. Yes. So, animal courts, by far the most serial offenders, were pigs, accused and convicted of chewing off body parts and even eating children. Oh, my God. Well, pigs will eat anything. Yeah. Most were found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging or being burned at the stake. Why wouldn't you just butcher it and eat it? I don't know. Because they, it's a, I don't, I don't know. Evil spirit Because it had to be executed? I don't understand. In 1386, a convicted pig was dressed in a waistcoat, gloves, drawers, and a human mask for its execution. That's fucking creepy. Yeah. Y'all had too much time on your hands. Do better. This is so weird. (laughs) Not necessarily a norm. Animal trials during the Middle Ages did occur. Animal courts were held by secular and church authorities with the first documented trial taking place in 1266. Oh my god. Pig- that's too recent. <laughs> this should only be a BC thing. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't be a thing. It should not- It shouldn't ever have been a thing. You're correct. Pigs were the common defendants, although insects, rats, and other mammals could be charged with damaging property, thievery, or even murder. <laughs> Oh my god, I love it. Convicted animals were executed, either hanged or burned, or excommunicated. (laughs) Uh Oh, that's one thing that pigs really grasp, is the concept of excommunication. (laughs) Yes. Um, The latter was, they're like, fine, like, I'll go live over here. Um, Even the Scientologists won't disconnect from dogs. I know, right? <laughs> Except that one that finally lighter. ended up disconnecting from the dog. The dog was labeled yeah, as a suppressive person. Exactly. <clears throat> the latter was afforded to creatures the latter was afforded to creatures that, quote, were not subject the subject of human control and could not be seized and imprisoned by civil authorities. <laughs> so I'm guessing like termites? I don't know. Scholars yeah. 
Scholars view animal trials as a means for humans to hold some tangible being accountable for an unexplained evil or <laughs> heinous act. I mean, yeah. A, a pig tr- yeah. A pig tried and convicted of murder, for example, took place after the death of an infant left unattended, while a rat might be accused of bringing a perceived threat. When an animal was presented with human clothing and features, it was during its very public execution, an indicator that law and order had been maintained. They sued the rats for the bubonic plague. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would happen today. Yeah, Um, it would. Oh, that fucking King's Hawaiian guy. I can't get him out of my head. (laughs) All right, so number eight... Uh, dressing in certain colors based on job or social status. We, oh well, uniforms are a thing now. Yeah, but not, not, not quite. So not not quite the same. So as an, as one aspect of the larger sumptuary legislation in effect at various times and in different locations during the Middle Ages, regulating the use of colors was meant to distinguish members of society. This was like to enforce the class system and stuff. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, so yeah. prostitutes... We're being classless So prostitutes... Now. Yes. Prostitutes and courtesans were not allowed to wear clothing made f- of certain fabrics or certain styles of accessories, while 15th century English law restricted wearing velvet to the nobility. So, quote... No knight bachelor or his wife shall wear any clothing of velvet on velvet, <laughs> nor esquire or gentleman or anyone else below the degree of knight, or their wives shall use or wear any velvet or any cloth of silk simulating them. Unquote. <laughs> Keep your fucking velvet. That's... It's not great. I know, right? It's terrible. It's not breathable at all. Um... <clears throat> So it's like, did you ever see Ever After? Yeah. Yeah, so like she, it, she could get in trouble for impersonating a no, someone of nobility. Wow. That's what they say. Like the, 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 the punishment for servants who dress outside their station was five days in the stocks. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. So it's kind of like impersonating a police officer, but no, it's, but it's but classist. Not. <laughs> right. Not at all. Not, it's punishable it's kind of like in this, a similar but not the way. Same. <laughs> yeah, it's it's exactly the same except different. Um, so, <laughs> dyed garments were expensive, making scarlet clothing a luxury, and purple was associated with royalty dating to the ancient world. Sumptuary laws, yeah, sumptuary laws also applied to furniture, metals, and even foodstuffs, all intended to quell to quell spending on imported goods and emphasize modesty and morality. Here's one that. Um, some people think we should bring back. Oh, no. Attending a public execution. Nope. Public no. executions during the medieval period were held as a deterrent, a reminder of proper moral conduct, and a community and as a community event. Voluntarily attended, public executions were ritualized and offered a sense of unity among those present. It's fucked up. They also... Yeah. They also represented the completion of a process intended to rid society of a criminal and a sinner. There were even several there were several options for executions in the medieval world. Some criminals might be sentenced to hanging while others were subjected to beheading. 
Crowds were not passive observers, rather they often cried out in favor of the impending death or on behalf of the sentenced for mercy. Churchmen were present alongside royal officials, overseeing the process on behalf of the inextricably linked religious and secular authorities in the, in the uh, medieval world. It wasn't until the late 18th and early 19th centuries that public executions started to transition to a more private setting. <laughs> Finally, someone was like, this is inappropriate. No, it happened here um, in, like, although 1940s. The last... Hey, hey. Okay. Although the last public hanging in the United States took place as late as 1936. Hey. <laughs> do your own segment. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I I had just learned about that in my uh, sociology class last semester. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, all right. Sleeping arrangements devoid of privacy. I'm sorry. On on the death penalty, we've talked about that at length on this podcast. Yes, yes, we have. Um, I and sometimes I'll say, you know, this person deserves death, and I'm being facetious um yes. when i say that we're, I, we're not I don't, for it yeah i don't mean that we get the choice to take that person's life not a single person nope. on this earth can make that judgment um no nope, i agree and but let's continue being yeah. silly sorry <laughs> okay <laughs> all right so sleeping <laughs> Oh, God. Sleeping with your entire family in one bed. Or, oh. if you're a king, sleeping in the same bed with a rival king to cement your friendship and respect for each other as brothers. Never heard of no, that before. That's no, fucking that's weird. that's not what was happening. That's not no, at all they were what fucking. was happening. Yes, they were fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Pri- privacy was not just a... Just a uh, uh, privacy was just not really a thing in the Middle Ages. <laughs> I wouldn't have survived. So in- I wouldn't have survived. No. <laughs> In some cultures, sleeping in one bed as a family remains quite common, especially with young children. In the Western world, communal snoozing is rarely practiced. During communal snoozing, that's funny. (laughs) During the Middle Ages, sharing a bed resulted from several factors. Limited space, protection, warmth, and sheer practicality all resulted in communal slumber. Beds were quite large, however, made out of wood and straw to accommodate large numbers of people. When royals shared a bed, it was a symbolic exercise. Nobles who were in good favor with a king were rewarded by being allowed in his bed. That's weird. That's really weird. (laughs) While King Richard the... Hey, slumber party! All in the same bed! It's so weird. While King... You're adults. While King Richard I of England and King Philip II of France slept in the same bed as an act of diplomacy. Yeah, that's what we'll call it. Mm Mm-hmm. They were fucking. Sure. They were fucking. <laughs> Diplomacy. Fu- diplomatic fucking. Yeah. <laughs> diplomatic fuckery. <laughs> All right. I wish we could name that the title of the episode. Oh, I'm I wish we'd so get too. Kicked off an apple. I know, right? Yeah. Um. <laughs> number eleven. A commu- a cu- the community call to action when a crime takes place. So this is interesting. Okay. All right, so this is the hue and cry, literally shouting that someone stole something and having the whole village chase after them. (laughs) Thief! All right, so 
Without a formal police force, right, because the police force is like a really new thing. Yeah. Uh, It fell on members of communities to alert others to crimes when they took place. When the, quote, hue and cry was raised, individuals were essentially tasked with with pursuing a suspected perpetrator. If a hue and cry was called, it was the in the interest of everyone to take part and resolve any potential crisis. In the medieval world, shared responsibility among community members was a part of maintaining order. In England specifically, men were organized into tithings, groups of ten, that functioned as part of the Frank Pledge system. The huh. Frank Pledge system, adapted adapted from the comparable early Anglo-Saxon practice was compulsory and within it each man was responsible for the behavior and actions of others of the others if a member of a tithing failed to pay a fine for example everyone in the group was accountable oh shit wow that's a good way to not function not foster a sense of community yeah (laughs) wow that's a horrible system (laughs) But, I, I mean, it works when, you know, everyone's just, like, walking around in their own shit. So, yeah. all right. Being declared an outlaw. I do miss this. This is fun. <laughs> so, outlawry, which stripped a person of all legal rights and allowed them to kill with impunity. Oh, any, wow. No, 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 no. No, no, no. It didn't allow them to kill with impunity. <laughs> I read that wrong. Allowed anyone to kill them with impunity. <laughs> oh, my God. Y'all. Yeah. Outlawry in the Middle Ages, specifically in England, was a process through which an individual ceased to exist in society. An outlawry declaration meant that a person lost all possessions, rights, and societal protections, cast out to fend for himself. Women weren't technically legal entities, but could be cast out. And this was called wavery. Of course. (laughs) Often outlaws were able to glean some help from others, but there was also the risk of death at any turn. Because an outlaw wasn't a person, so to speak, he could be killed without any repercussions falling upon the assailant. Medieval outlawry could be pardoned, although an outlaw would necessarily need someone else to plead for mercy on his behalf. <laughs> with with punitive anyone imprisonment that saw them would as kill them, you have a heart of with gold. Punitive with punitive, like Robin Hood, with punitive imprisonment as a re- relative unknown in the Middle Ages, alternatives to outlawry included death, exile, abjuration of the, and abjuration of the realm. <laughs> in medieval, in medieval Iceland, outlawry has had variant forms. Offenders could be sentenced to quote lesser outlawry, a temporary status, or full outlawry, which cast a man out for life. Oh wow. Yeah. All right, last one. Waking up to work or so or socialize in the middle of the night. <laughs> Me. This still happens though. Yeah. Okay. So um, go third shift. Anyway, <laughs> um, going to sleep as soon as it gets dark, waking up and hanging out with your family for a few hours in the middle of the night, and going back to bed until sunrise. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um. Sounds kind of fun. Yeah. Um, ooh, that's a big yawn, baby. Um, <laughs> Her sleeping. Eight, se- eight sequential hours of sleep during the Middle Ages was unknown. 
Men, women, and children in the, midi in the medieval past split their nights up into two sleep shifts with an intermission during which they ate, drank, engaged in conversation, and carried out chores or administrative duties. So weird. Called bifastic sleep, the first period of rest began soon after the sun went down, a natural time oh, to rest the body. Yeah. After after a few hours of slumber, individuals would rise for an hour or two before going back to bed. The awake hours, based on historical records, would feature a, quote, hot drink, but it's hot with two T's and drink has an E at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the or old a chance, way of spelling things. Let's do that. Right? Ye old hot drink? <laughs> um, or a chance to, quote, make water. So it's waking up to pee. <laughs> oh. And, and as, re as research suggests, corresponded with to the natural rhythms of both body and mind. The second sleep lasted until sunrise when it was time to start a new day. That's not a bad yeah. idea. So interesting. I bet they were waking up at like midnight and staying up till like three yeah. and then going to sleep until sunrise. It's just so interesting. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> hope everybody enjoyed that as much as we did. Yeah, I had fun. <laughs> I love shit like that. All right, well, hope you guys stay safe. Have an awesome weekend, and remember, you are not a monster. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Talk Crooked. Music is by Gisla Niebach. Check out our website, talkcricket.wixsite.com slash podcast for sources and visual aids, as well as resources to get involved. To keep up with our nonsense and stay up to date on all things Crooked, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook at Talk Crooked. To keep the shots coming, access ex exclusive bonus content, get a free poster, and a shout out on air, head on over to our Patreon. All links can be found on our website. You can listen to us basically anywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have interesting stories relating to our content, please send them to talkcrooked at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on the show. For business inquiries or sponsorships, please email us at carrieandkbusiness at gmail.com. See you next time.